You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Awesome. Quick short story. Uh, Taylor and I go to the same uh, gym where we, we there, it's a fighting gym. And on uh, Wednesday, um, we, uh, we, we kind of like got at each other a little bit in the staff meeting. And then we went to boxing afterwards. And, and I walk in and Taylor says, just the person I wanted to fight. And then the coach puts me and Taylor in the ring and I've like been boxing for like three weeks and Taylor's been boxing for a couple years. And, and the coach says, now, he says to Taylor, now you punch him and try to hit him and, and you just block and just barely try and tap her. And I'm like, you don't understand, like, she's a savage. (laughs) And so that's who we have on staff now. We have another savage. And it's awesome to be on the team with her and excited to serve with her. Um, I am so excited to uh, share with you and continue our series. I want to start off by asking you guys a question. Boom. There it is. What would you do if you were king or queen of the entire world for a day. Does that sound like fun to anybody? <laughs> the wise veterans are like way too much responsibility. The young people in the room are like, I could do it. Um, it, it does sound interesting to me from time to time. And I would have some opinions on what I think a king or queen of the day should do. But I would like to share with you what my 10-year-old son says. There it is. These are my son Nolan's nine actions that if he was king for the day, I said, Nolan, if you were king for the day and you could rule the world, what would you do? And this is what he said. Number one, I'd make sure there was good health for the poor. Aw, right? (laughs) Seems very noble of him. Don't worry, the list goes on. Uh, Number two, I would tell people to build homes, little houses for all the homeless. Not a bad idea. He's a little bossy there with the uh, telling, but very nice. And then he says, uh, I would pay them all a million dollars and give them free food, but only three meals a day. A million dollars and food. And then I realized I need to teach him the value of money. (laughs) Number four, allow skateboarders to skate anywhere they want. And all the skaters in the house said, amen, right? Uh, You you can see that that very quickly he goes from serving other people to serving himself. Uh, Then he said, this one was a little out of left field. He said, I would make a place for people who are 90 and older to go to. (laughs) And and at first I was like, I feel like that's kind of inappropriate. Like you want to put people who are older, like in a home or something. But then the more I thought about it, like, I think he just wants to have a club that's like happening for 90 and older people to go to. It could mean either. Um... 
he said that he would make everyone even with money. And I thought, oh no, my son's a communist. (laughs) But I love him because he said, I would give you a mansion, mom a mansion, because I guess he doesn't want us to be together. (laughs) And Joel and Kern can have as much candy as they want, but they can't eat it all at one time. (laughs) Yes, my son is sounding like a real politician at this point as he takes care of his kin. Um, And then he said, did I mention skating anywhere? It's really important to him. And then finally he said, front row tickets to the Dodger game. And I said, that's my boy, right? Who wants to vote for Nolan to be in charge? Right on. Um, He is adorable, and you get a glimpse into uh, our human nature really quick. Um, There there are things that are broken, and a king should help and serve, but the desire to help ourselves uh, becomes um, all all, all too clear real quick, right? So the question is, what would you do? And before you think you could do better, um, I believe many of you could do a lot better than some of the politicians we have in office. Um, Do you know how intoxicating power is? Do you know that uh, having authority and power has great responsibility And what are you doing with the current power and the current authority that God has already placed in your life? We are currently in a series where we're studying the life of David. David was a great warrior, a great poet, a great king, quite the combo of a a human being, and he had the heart of God. He is both extremely spectacular and yet intimately familiar and relatable. And as we study his life, we see the gospel of Jesus foretold in interesting ways. And when we study Old Testament characters, we can learn so much about God and ourselves. And uh, as we look through the lens of Jesus, these stories in the Old Testament really illuminate some some great riches um, that we can draw on. And that is what we're going to do today. And we're going to look at the contrast between two kings. Um, what it says, and and we'll look at what it says about God, how it points to Jesus, and then the implications of how we can all live. And so we're going to turn to 1 Samuel 16. If you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. If you want to follow along on your phones, page or pixel, the words will be on the screen. I will give you two seconds. And we're off. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Here we go. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, 
the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Our passage starts off with a man named Samuel who is quite upset and in some serious mourning. To understand why he is so sad, let me recap what has happened up until this point. After the Israelites had been brought out of Exodus um, and are brought out of Egypt in the Exodus, uh, there was a period of time where they lived as a theocracy, which was basically God was in charge and he would appoint uh, different judges and high priests to um, kind of execute his rule. And uh, God was in charge and was with his people and it was reflected by the Ark of the Covenant. And so then in, in chapters 4 through 7, it tells of a time when Israel went to war with the Philistines. And at one point, the ark is taken, but God destroys the Philistine idols. He sends plagues, and the Philistines then return the ark to the Israelites. The Philistines then pursue the Israelites, again, very Exodus-esque, if you will. And uh, this time, God thunders with loud thunder, like the thunder of all thunders. And if you've ever been around scary thunder, I can't imagine what God's thunder among thunders is like. But it sends the Philistines into a panic and they get subdued. But in the very next chapter, in chapter 8, Israel requests a king. And before agreeing to give the people what they want, he warns them of what they're asking for. And this is what it says. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. 
Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. In other words, you will be forced to give allegiance to someone who will use you and tax you and send your children to fight for them. What God is saying is that the leaders of your world look out for their interests when God truly looks out for your interest. Does this sound slightly familiar to the world's governments of today? Right? I'm not saying all of them. I think there's some really great people and some people who are probably, maybe, in politics with good motives. But this just rings all too true. Right? But God gives Israel a king. And his name was was Saul. He was handsome and he was tall. He towered over everyone. And on paper, he looks like the perfect candidate. He even starts out with some promise. He turns out to be, but he turns out to be everything that God warns them about. He doesn't wait on God before going to battle. He shows a lack of trust, a lack of patience. He doesn't listen to God. He doesn't listen to God's instructions. He is told to go to war and, and wipe out a, a tribe that God has brought judgment on. And he takes survivors and he takes plunder for his own gain. He ends up being paranoid and tormented for the years of his life. And it is Saul's failure that, that, that Samuel put his hope in this king only to see him just lead everything into ruin And that is what brings us to Samuel morning. And God tells Samuel that he has mourned long enough and it's time to find the next king. And this king will be different. And to anoint another king would have been extremely dangerous. It would have been an act of treason. And and Samuel realizes this. He says, hey, don't don't send me. If, if, If Saul finds out, I'm a dead man which he was, but God gives him a a good reason to go. He says, take a heifer and and to go and set up church and uh, conduct a service. And when he arrives, he's received with a question. Do you come in peace? Which is a, a really good question considering in the previous chapter, Samuel just killed the Amalekite king by himself. The priests of back then were cut from a different cloth. (laughs) Samuel confirms his peace. Yes, I come in peace. And he tells everyone to purify themselves and get ready for God to move because God's about to do something new. 
So he takes Jesse and his sons who are uh, related to, to Ruth, who we read earlier in the story. And uh, his sons are brought before Samuel. Eliab is first. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab sticks out because he is tall. Samuel is looking at his outward appearance. The comparison to Saul's introduction in chapter 9 should really stick out to us. And, and God corrects Samuel. He's, he tells him that he's falling for the same trap. He's putting hope in the way that the world looks at things, but God's ways are different. Do not consider his appearance or his height. This is a very natural human response for us to look in this way because humans are extremely superficial. There are so many research studies that show perks of fitting into a specific physical description. People are biased to how tall they are. Um, people are often vote for taller candidates. People are more patient with certain people with a certain uh, uh, stature and look. Uh, one study I saw said that for every inch that you are taller than the average human, it equates to roughly $789 of increased income. People are extremely, extremely superficial Machiavelli said, men in general judge more from appearances than reality. And we have all seen this in action, right? I mean, we all know this too well. Physical beauty is so coveted, especially in Orange County. Many people pay good money to live up to some subjective ideal. And this kind of culture is extremely unhealthy because the distortions of beauty cause so many people pain and insecurity. We end up being forced to, to, to see ourselves by some false image. And we end up, when we look inside the mirror, we don't see what is truly there. We see something that is smaller and not worthy by the standards of the world around us. This is not what God wants, and this is not how God looks at us. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, God's ways are not man's. God is not fooled by any of us. He sees reality. He sees our character. He sees our hearts. Eliab won't do and son after son are brought before Samuel, but none of them are who God has chosen. Are these all the sons you got? Is this, is this everything? Because God hasn't told me that, that, uh, that any of these people are to be king. And Jesse's answer is, well, they're still the youngest. I guess there's one more. You know, but he's off tending to the sheep. The word for youngest here literally translates the smallest. Uh, and, and Jesse's reaction is, you know, like, oh, now that you mention it, like, oh, yeah, little Davy, like, I do have another son. I didn't even think he would be considered. And it is totally sad to say, but isn't this so relatable? Hasn't every one of us at one point or another felt left out, felt forgotten, 
felt too small to be considered. The feeling of being overlooked, left out, makes us feel worthless sometimes. But God saw him. God saw the forgotten and gives him an anointing to be king. He chooses a faithful shepherd, the warrior poet, the person who is different. David was unlike Saul in so many ways. This whole chapter is a big contrast between these two kings. When Goliath stares down the Israelites, Saul is scared and David, David knew who he worshipped. He was confident. He trusted in God. It took somewhere between somewhere around 10 years from when David is anointed at this point to when he really steps into his throne as the king of Israel. 10 years. And, and over that time, his life is threatened and he had multiple opportunities to kill the person who is sitting in his seat. And yet he chooses not to because he is faithful and he is waiting upon God. David is faithful and he is even repentant unlike the king Saul. So they sent for him. Rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is the one. And David was. He was a great king, but David failed. He was better than Saul. He set up a dominant kingdom for many years, but he failed many times. And if you keep reading the story, it's a tragedy. It is, it is a heartbreaking story. He failed because he was only a king. He failed because he was a warrior and a poet, but he was not a savior. Not the one true king that was still to come. Prophet after prophet yelled at the Israelites that one day another son of David, a son of man, would come and reestablish God's kingdom. The good shepherd the perfect king who lays down his life. He who came to serve and is a leader who is not out for personal gain like all of the leaders before and since. You see, there are so many connections here between David and Jesus. Jesus was the least expected. He was like the young David. He was born in a manger around sheep. He was poor. He was not much to look at. People said, what good would come from Nazareth? And yet, Jesus was the king who trusted God to lead every action during his life on earth, faithful even to a cross, to his own death. He was faithful, and God was faithful in return, and he set up a kingdom that is never-ending. So what can we take from David's calling? What do we learn and how does this apply to you and me today? Well, I think there are three things that, that we learned from this story. And here they are. We, are. we are seen and anointed with power and authority. God cares about how we use our power and authority. And God gives his spirit as proof of anointing and guidance for our actions. Right? The first one. We are seen and anointed with power and authority. The text says that David was anointed before his brothers. To anoint someone was to install them into the holy office of kingship. 
the word Messiah and the word Christ, um, the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christ literally mean anointed. We sometimes use the word anointed uh, in, in other ways, uh, but it is really meant for royalty. And it's not just something that certain special people have. In fact, every one of us is anointed. I'm anointed, Taylor is anointed, and we are no specialer or different than any of you who are in Christ. You too are anointed. Second Corinthians says, now it is God who makes both of us, <clears throat> both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, you and I carry the same anointing that Jesus had. His inheritance is our inheritance. The way God sees Jesus, the way God saw David, is the way that he sees you and me. For us to be seen, for us to be noticed, for us to be valued, for us to be cared about, just as we are broken and full of sin and yet fully loved, this is what we all long for. For all of us who have ever felt small, if you've ever felt out of place, if you've ever had body image issues, if you have ever wondered whether you are worthy or you measure up, you need to know that God sees you. God sees you and he loves you right where you're at, just as you are. Some of you today just need to hear that. That you are anointed and that you are special. Second, because you are anointed, because God sees you and God cares about you, he wouldn't have given his life for you if he didn't. Because of that, he gives you power. Because you are anointed and you are in the royal family, you then have power and authority, and God cares about how you use it. The te this text and much of the book of Samuel, like I said, is a contrast of these two kings. One looks after himself, not trusting God, not obedient to God, while the other reveres God, serves others, and waits on the Lord. What will you do with the power and authority that God has given you? Will you be like Saul or will you be like David? The reality is everyone in this room has a domain that they rule over. Each of us has areas of influence that varies. Some of us have huge influence. Some of us have small influence, but every single one of us has influence. I don't care if you're retired. I don't care if you're in high school. Every single one of us has power and authority to either use people for personal gain or to use their power and authority to serve. To be able to use your power and authority correctly, you have to know who you are. You have to know that you are a child of God because the most precious, because, oh, let, me, let me rephrase that. You have to know that you are a child of God, the most precious royalty who is anointed by Jesus because 
only when you find your value in Christ will you truly be freed up to have the correct motives to serve. Let me tell you what I mean. If you long for people's approval because you think you're inadequate, you will serve to be liked. If you think you are worthless, you will serve to have value. You will serve to be worthy. You will try to earn your way into approval and you will never be fulfilled. Only when you see yourself as anointed and chosen and cared about before God, will you truly be freed of that to truly serve for serving's sake and for the sake of other people. Where is God calling you to use your power and authority to serve and spread the kingdom that you are royalty in? Is it at home? How are you able, or what is God calling you in in what way to serve your spouse, to serve your family members, to serve your kids? What is, where is God calling you to use your power and authority at your work? How are you using your leverage in this world to benefit the people around you in your office? When you, when you work in sales and you're working with customers, do you look at customers as just an, a means to your ends? Do you look at them as just a sale, just a dollar sign? Or do you actually look out for their best interests? Even when it means risking your own. Where is God calling you. We are seen by God and anointed with royal authority. God cares about how we use our power and authority. But how can we know that these things are actually true? How can we know that we really are anointed? And how do we know that we're really seen by God? And how can we really change our self-perception from negative to positive? And then how can we really use our authority to serve in, in a unselfish way? And the reality is we just can't do it on our own without this last third point. Because God gives us his spirit to enable us. He gives us his spirit as proof of the anointing and guidance for our actions. Look at the text. What does David receive? The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. You see, it was God himself that led David into battle. It was God himself that drove David to dancing. It was God himself that built David's kingdom. When God sees you and when you are anointed, you are given the spirit of the Lord You see, it is God who has all the power. He is just gracious enough to share with us. You cannot truly heal your self-image unless you get a brand new one. It is so tough to find purpose and freedom in what we do. It's so so tough to find purpose and freedom to serve without any expectations in return unless we have that brand new identity. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we receive this assurance in our anointing. He reigns in our lives. And when we proclaim Jesus as the Son of God, He mysteriously surrounds us. 
He invades our heart. And what happens is we, we change the way we think. We change the way we see ourselves. We change the way we see the world around us. And it's not going to happen just by going through some self-help thing or just trying a little bit harder. The reality of the story is that you don't have what it takes. You need God to help you. You need God's spirit in your life. And when we do, God then uses our power and authority that he's given us to serve and build a kingdom of beauty and justice. What do you need the Holy Spirit to help you with today? Do you need to just hear him say that he sees you and that he loves you right where you're at? In the midst of all of your baggage, in the midst of all of your insecurities, he just loves you and cares about you right where you're at. Do you need God to tell you how to serve? Where is God tugging on your heart? What area of your life is he saying, hey, I want to help you. I want to guide you. You see, the reality is that each and every one of you in here is a king and is a queen. And you are in God's royal family. And each of you, each of you, every single one of us has some power and authority that God wants to partner with us in using. What will it be? When you are being the king and queen that you are, when you are exercising your power and your authority, will you be like Saul or will you be like David? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for seeing us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move right now and that you would just remind us that we are chosen, that we are seen, and that through Jesus we are anointed. And we are your sons and daughters. God, many of us in here are struggle with who we are and what we look like and our, our successes and all of the stress and struggles and the messes we've made of our lives. God, you are the one to come and fill us, make us whole again. Would you heal us? God, would you speak to each and every one of us as to how we can best use our power and authority to be different and to radiate your love to show the royal family that we are a part of. God, I thank you for stories like David and and just for illuminating Jesus and the gospel, the good news that you love us, you save us, and you give us your presence, your Holy Spirit to walk with us. So God, would you walk with us today? May we be a church that resembles your goodness, your faith, and your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.